So I, I, the first thing I would say is before you get to the dance, practice your dance moves. I mean, before you, <laughs> it's, I mean, it sounds crazy, but it's, it's, it's really a, a metaphor for do the work, do the homework. I mean, yes. because it's, again, it's like the analogy I used with you the other day. It's you wouldn't show up to chemistry class three hours late and then ask everybody in the class to help you catch up because that's not their job. Yeah. Their job is when we were here three hours earlier. We did the work. And we've been here three hours and we're leaving. So, you know, there's no way you're going to, what you're really going to do is go to the professor after class mm -hmm. and you're going to pick up the reading from them and yeah. figure out what you missed. And you're going to read that. And then the next time you come to class, you're going to be prepared and you're ready to go to class. In construction, the, the, the analogy would be, okay, before I, before I make these statements about wanting to help, I need to understand, A, how I got here to begin with, mm -hmm. and then confront that and say, okay, well, I can't lead with, well, I'm not racist. Everyone on my staff looks like me. Yeah. So um, I have to ask myself, why, how did I get here and why am I doing this? Welcome to The Critical Path with Mary and Jason, a podcast about business development, company culture, and loving the place you work just a little bit more. So this is episode 57, and we have uh, uh, kind of an important topic right now that we need to address for the construction industry, and this episode is called Do Black Lives Matter in Construction? And we've got special guest here, uh, Jason Jones, who is a carpenter training professional in Seattle. Uh, spent many years in the industry and currently works to help provide training and has a very unique perspective in in the industry in that he is a construction professional, but he also happens to be black, uh, which well, is something that we don't see a lot of in the construction industry. And we had been having some really good, before COVID struck, we had been having some really good conversations about how to make more opportunities available to people who don't look like the traditional foreman, uh, lots of different people. And so uh, it felt like a good time to maybe have a conversation about some of this stuff, because if you haven't noticed, we've been talking about it in Seattle a lot lately and in the country. So we've been reaching out to a couple of the people that we know uh, just to, to provide support and ask questions and just do our best to learn more and share what we learn with, with the folks around us. So Jason, welcome on. Uh, we pr really appreciate you taking the time, and it means a lot to us that you would talk to us about this topic. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, we, we moved our kids here years ago from rural Indiana, and the, the biggest reason why we did it was because we wanted to raise them somewhere different. We wanted to raise them somewhere where they wouldn't be raised with uh, racist beliefs and sexist beliefs. We wanted to, to surround them with people who uh, saw the world a little bit different. So we picked Seattle. <laughs> and, and we picked Seattle because uh, the, the racism here is, you know, kind of behind us. And uh, we, we wanted to, to uh, uh, raise them a place in a place where, where it's open-minded. They've been to Pride Parade every year since we've been here. Uh, we're, we're a big supporter of, of a lot of the, the minority uh, or, or uh, endangered uh, classes. And we always try to do our best to help wherever we can. So we had a conversation with you last week and we said, well, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's the sentiment that uh, Seattle, we don't really have racism problems here so much. And, and what did you have to say to that? Well, um, I'm, I, I'm, obviously you live in a different 
experience than I do. Um, but in Seattle, it's absolutely prevalent. Um, it's absolutely what? Prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes, it ta- racism takes, takes form. It, it takes, racism shows up in many different forms. Sometimes it's more subtle, sometimes it's more overt. Up here, it's a lot more subtle. Um, so, so Seattle's more polite about its racism. In essence, yeah, in some <laughs> respect. Um, and sometimes, I mean, I think as of late, it's gotten a little more pronounced. But um, you can just you can see it in just different walks of life. For example, uh, why do all the white people live in Magnolia? Why do all the white people live in you know Maple Leaf or Roosevelt or all these upper north north neighborhoods? Well, the reason that is is because of what's called redlining, where banks would put a red line around a neighborhood where black people couldn't buy it. So the the, the remnants of redlining are still exist here today. Um, you also so, see so redlining was a, a process you said by banks. Correct. So it's a, it's a process by banks where they essentially establish a zone of a neighborhood and literally put a red line around that zone where black people could not buy houses. So that would be in, you know, Ballard, uh, Wallingford, I mean, anywhere up north, anywhere on the on kind of west of the city, you could, black people couldn't buy them. So we basically got relegated to the central district hmm. until gentrification came in. They're like, oh, that's pretty good property. So we start getting <laughs> moved out of there. Right, so, right. Um, that's, you know, gentrification and redlining are really things that, you know, are more subtle, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, it's, it's still racism. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. Another part of racism is in the educational system. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's funny because I went to Garfield High School in Seattle, and there's actually racism in that school. I mean, because there's general population where everybody goes to school, then there's the top floor where all the opportunities for um, honors classes and advanced placement classes were, were all white. Mm. There, I mean, so you have a school within a school, and that's not by accident; it's by design. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then you have schools up north in nicer neighborhoods that have a bigger tax base, where they can throw more resources at a public school mm-hmm. and essentially turn it into a private school. Mm-hmm. So. When right. you do that, it, it, it creates these gaps and disparities in, in educational opportunities. Yeah. So um, it, it exists um, in the sense that um, in educational and in, in economic opportunities, it also exists in construction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had, you know, people that I work with, you know, ask, you know, well, how, how can I, you know, um, hire more people of color? I'm like, well, have you asked your black foreman? Mm-hmm. And I get a puzzled look on my on their face. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's by design. But it's like, well, exactly, because you don't have any. And well, so we we do a lot of training for the construction industry, and we see, I, I would say, the majority of people that we see are foremen. That is the, the vast majority. We, we do see project managers and we do see laborers, but the majority of the people that we work with are foremen uh, because that's where the highest return is on investment. And I, I think that we've seen one person who is black, who is a foreman in training. And I think one or two foremen who were Hispanic, Latino. Uh, and I think that's it. I No women foremen that I can recall. 
And uh, the guy that was black that was a foreman in training, literally every single person that we talked to at the company, everyone would be like, oh, did you meet our, our black, our black foreman? foreman? Like, did you meet him? He's actually really good. Was He's like, actually really literate. Yeah. yeah. Well. Which also felt problematic, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, and construction is really kind of like the, the, the last bastion of white maleness. Yeah. You know, it, where it's all white males yeah. in, in positions of Power. authority and, and, yeah. and management. So uh, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I put on events myself that I'm the only black person in the room, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, it's always kind of a shock to them when I go up to the podium and announce the speaker to come in. They're like, whoa, uh, how'd that happen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I'm from the yeah. state, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just the construction is really caught up in an 80s type mentality or mm -hmm. earlier or earlier, like, you 50s. know, hey, you can, you can still make a decent wage if you don't graduate high school or don't move on through college. I mean, college isn't for everybody. That's what, you know, some of these hiring people like to say. Yeah. And it, it really is. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, he's kind of a, he's kind of a ne'er-do-well. So let's, let's pull him in and making sure he can make a decent wage. But that, I mean, that's that's just for like my son or my, my friends of, of my son or whatever, but it doesn't, there's no formal way of getting it. Yeah. And that, that if you just pull from the people you know, and everybody you know looks like you, I mean, it just perpetuates itself. Well, and there's, so, no, there's no pipeline. There's no, no. investing in, in pre-K education is one of the best things that we can do to, to increase opportunity for everybody. So I had a, uh, revelation. This is a couple of years ago that I'm, I'm driving down the highway. I'm doing 70 plus miles an hour in a 55 uh, going through Mercer Island and I get pulled over and I'm in a little orange car. Uh, it looks faster Weren't than it like is. Were you right in front of the police department pretty much too? Or that was a different one? No, a different one. Different one. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wow. uh, a <laughs> different one. No. Uh, so I'm, I'm driving through and I get pulled over, uh, pull on over and I'm on the phone calling Mary, looking for, for my insurance card. I uh, pull up my, my registration. We had and just kinda, switched to the app thing. Yeah, and I'm kind of scuffling around. The, the cop comes up to the window and uh, asks for, ask for my papers. And so I hand him my license, I hand him my registration, and I say, I'm still looking for my insurance card. And I'm sure you just popped the glove box oh, open yeah, while I'm, the cop I'm was standing next to the car. I'm scrabbling around, and uh, then he, he goes back and he says, uh, you realize that your tabs are over a year expired. And I'm, I'm honestly surprised. I'm like, I had no idea. You got to be kidding me. Uh, we had just opened up our office, so there was a lot of uh, to do. And uh, it just slipped our mind. We renew it by mail and, and we just missed it. And uh, he goes, well, I'm going to have to give you a ticket for, for the expired tabs because they're so expired. And I said, fair. That, <laughs> please. Sure. Yeah. And... Uh, and he goes, and this is a nice enough car. I'm sure you have insurance. Have a nice day. And sent me on my way. And that was kind of the moment that after I got out of that, and I was like, I was thinking, this can't be what it looks like for everybody else. Uh, I'm, I'm it white. It's not. <laughs> it's not, right? <laughs> and so in that, in that situation, how would that have played out differently? And I think your car is nicer than mine. Yeah, it yeah. is. <laughs> it is. Um, well... I'll say this, for me personally, I keep my paperwork 
in the visor above my head so that when I go to get it, you can see both of my hands and then I place them out the window. Yeah. So, you know, this, the experiences that, that we kind of have to plan for, that's one of them. That, I mean, and, and it didn't always used to be like that up here. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like that could happen to me here, but I'm not always here. I mean, I'm in other places and, you know, you have to have some type of game plan for when you get pulled over. I mean, you, these are conversations that you don't have to have with your kids. Yeah. These are conversations I have to have with my son, with my daughter. I mean, I have to have, a, I personally have to have a game plan because something as simple as an expired tab could result and death for me. That could be a death sentence for me if I get pulled over. So um, these things quickly escalate. Um, and just the simple fact that there's a difference in the way you're treated that requires no training. Mm -hmm. And then there's a difference where I'm treated where I can end up in a box. And then the next thing people are saying is, oh, well, we need more diversity training. Well, that doesn't help me because I'm in the dirt. So yeah. It's, it's a completely different experience. Um, sometimes, you know, we survive those encounters um, and then the high profile ones, we don't. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just a completely different experience that, you know, when, with law enforcement that we have to deal with. So, um, and I think that that's part of what keeps uh, white people in the dark because that's not your experience. No, not at all. And, and, me over. And, and nothing happened to me, so it, well, how, you must have did something wrong to bring that on yourself. That's I mean, right. So it's like, well, if, you, if, you, if you think about what I would have to do to, to get to that result, it would have to be 100% aggressive. It would have to be, they would have to have no well, choice. So that's my dad. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. uh, my dad is a truck driver and was on the road most of his career. And uh, there was a situation where he was driving in his truck and uh, someone drove by him going really fast and driving really crazy. And it was a woman driving and he was a little startled by it. And then a minute later, another car came after that car and it became clear that there was some kind of a domestic violence situation going on. And this man was chasing this woman. And in front of my dad's truck, the woman pulled over, jumped out and started running. And the guy pulled over, jumped out and went after the woman. My dad pulled over behind them to try to, he's a big guy, he wanted to try to help. And uh, I don't remember the exact he, well, detail. He, he well, gets a pipe out of his... The guy pulled, did, did the guy have a gun or a knife? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember which. The guy had a weapon. Mm -hmm. And when, it, when my dad said, leave her alone, the guy came after my dad with a weapon. My dad reached behind his truck and grabbed a pipe and hit this guy over the head with this pipe. And, and then the cops show up. As that's happening, the police show up police show up and my dad is striking a man in the head with a pipe and the police listened to my dad I listened to the woman yeah there was no problem with the police it pretty momentarily the police understood what was happening and thanked my dad and sent him on his way if my dad see, was black i don't think that would have happened yeah see that that is a, is an example of privilege yes where and really if if i were to define that it's you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, you're there hitting this dude in the head with a pipe <laughs> for just reason. There has to be a good reason. Because yep. you look like me. So there's no way you could be committing some type of malfeasance because, I mean, who does that? Right. So you're getting the benefit of the doubt. I'm mm -hmm. not getting the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that didn't require the, the same, the, the same 
thing that this officer did to you and said, okay, hold up, stop hitting the guy, separate it, let's figure what's going on. We don't get that. Yeah. It's just boom. It's your I just ended the threat. Yeah. You're a threat so, to me because you have a weapon. And right. and it's the gut reaction. It is the the it, all of the videos that you see where the cops walk up and they shoot before they think. They shoot before they even They're have a chance to. They, yeah. No chance to, to talk. And uh, I, I think that that gut reaction is the biggest challenge that we're trying to deal with. Uh, and so when we're talking about promotional opportunity in construction, because you know we are here today to talk about construction too, mm-hmm. um, that when you think promotion, that gut reaction takes over. That gut reaction just immediately rules out any people of color. And it's not, it's not the front of your brain thinking, it's the back of your brain that- It's subconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just rules it right out so that it's not even possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what is, what is uh, from your perspective, how likely are you to get promoted if you're black or brown or a woman? Sure, so let's, let's, before I go there, I'll sure. back up to just how construction promotions work in general. Yeah. I mean, first of all, there is no formal process for promotion. Let's just, let's just, you know, <laughs> it's construction. If there's no, well, you've done X, Y, and Z, so we're gonna look at you for, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, even, um, even in the union. Yeah, it, anywhere yeah. that I've seen. Yeah. So um, let's say even even there's no formal recruiting. It's it's like okay, well, I got a buddy who's gone through the through the through the um, through the through the union through the institute. Um, let's give him a shot. Mm-hmm. Mm, he's okay. Let's keep him on. So right there, you're, it's really arbitrary in terms of whether or not you stick with a company or not. Okay. So let's say you're fortunate enough that someone says, okay, cool, you're, you're that you'll work. I, you have potential. I'll work. Okay, so now you're talking four to six years mm-hmm. on a crew before you can even be considered for a foreman. Okay, well, if if the person that's trying to get the foremanship doesn't speak English, they're already out. Yeah. Okay, so if you want to get promoted to be in a foreman, there's no there's no formal way to do that other than, hey, Jason, um, you look great. Um, tell you what, I got a small job for you to run. Can you uh, take a couple guys and go over there and finish this gig for me? Sure. Okay. Well, if I screw that up, I'm never getting another opportunity to be a <laughs> yeah. Unless it's with a different company. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's with a different company. Yeah. Um, but if I happen to do half decent on that, they'd be like, you know what? You know, we're going to go ahead and make you a foreman just because you've shown some aptitude for that particular position. I mean, but you're you're there. It's so arbitrary and so at the mercy of some someone else's subjectiveness that there's no way you're gonna be able to move up to a foreman or superintendent or management based off based off of those factors. I mean, yeah. so unless there's something more formal, and this is kind of something that I've worked with you on, which is a formal a foreman certification program, mm-hmm. where you're actually taking courses so that when you put, get put in that role, you can be successful. Mm-hmm. Because you, you can be a foreman and then be removed from that role if, if a couple of things go wrong. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. There's no guarantee that even if you get to that level, that you could stay at that level. Mm-hmm. So, well, and and I think that that brings up a good topic. Uh, that is the the homogenization of staff. What what everybody looks like. So, what what questions do you have or thoughts do you have about that? I mean, I think I think in general in this town, from what I've seen, is that people tend to hire people they're comfortable with. 
they do not have a, a vast circle of friends to draw upon or a vast circle of friends that don't look like them to draw upon. So I think it perpetuates this idea that, okay, well, I don't know anyone that looks like me. So where do I look? Where do I start? How do I even get there? And it's like, well, you have to start with asking yourself why everyone around you looks like you. Mm -hmm. I mean, start with that. I mean, because for people that look like me, for black people, we have to have friends across the spectrum. We can't just stick to black people because mm -hmm. that's, that isn't necessarily where the hiring goes on. That isn't necessarily what our workplaces look like. That isn't necessarily what our schools look like. So we have to learn and understand and integrate ourselves into larger society so that we can, you know, have access to certain opportunities. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a situation where you don't have to do that, mm -hmm. then you tend to stick to the, to the, to the people you grew up with or, the, or their friends or yeah. you make new friends that all, but they all look the same. Yeah. So that's where you're pulling from for talent, for ideas, for, for labor, for whatever the case may be. So. They're not in situations. I mean, these companies that I, that I work with are not in situations where they have to do that. Mm -hmm. So they don't. So we, I read an article here recently that talked about the fact that most HR departments are all white, mm -hmm. and and if you think about the HR roles and the HR functions, almost every person in HR who has any hiring authority is white, and that just propagates the idea that we will continue to hire white people. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and a really good tangible example of this that, that has nothing to do with race, but, but sends the, the, the same message very clearly. We have a decorative metals company that was a past client of ours. And they, the, the biggest challenge that they had is that they couldn't find anyone who was good at operations. So the owners of the company were both creatives. They're both creatives, they, they were artistic, they're big thinkers, but no one in their organization could think concretely, could think process, could think about gears. Mm -hmm. They continually hired creatives over and over and over again. Because that's who clicked with them. That's They would meet these creative people who had these big creative ideas mm -hmm. and they'd be like, that's the one we really like though. Right, and so if, if they had access to an operations person, they would discard the operations person out of bad cultural fit. Hmm. But okay. that but that was what they needed more than anything. Mm -hmm. And and we as people, we tend to pick people and, and surround ourselves with people that look like us and think like mm -hmm. us. I mean, this is the Facebook phenomenon, right? Where you can just mm -hmm. pick your friends and pick your way of thinking. Sure. <clears throat> but I think in, in globalization, in trying to take active steps to reduce racism and improve that situation, uh, it, in order to, to broaden our perspective and get more ideas and input and, and face these challenges, I mean, you can see the companies that, that are totally tone deaf on racism, and I guarantee mm -hmm. you they have no one with authority, with a, a black voice, who can actually speak to, to their messaging. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, and I think you see that in companies that struggle with what to do right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, can you help us craft a statement? Well, no, because there's nobody there that looks like me that can actually say, okay, here's what's going on, mm -hmm. and this is what you need to be aware of mm -hmm. if you're gonna jump in that board. You're gonna be asked, what, is your, um, what does your executive leadership team look like? Yep. Yep. 
show me all your show me your management staff. Yeah. Yep. And because if you put that statement out there and someone calls you on it and they will, mm-hmm. they're gonna ask, what are you doing besides putting this statement? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I mean, when I think like diversity in construction, I think you were alluding to this earlier. It, it isn't just diversity in terms of skin tone. It's mm-hmm. diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you want to make sure you have a bunch of different voices in the room because construction by and large is problem solving. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if you have a bunch of people that all think the same and all look the same, you're going to get the same answer every single time. Yeah. You might get slight variations, but you're not going to get someone thinking completely different. That's where you have multiple people in the room that don't look like you, mm-hmm. that bring different experiences to the table so that you can you, you can leverage those experiences to get different ideas about how to solve problems. Mm-hmm. So I watch some of these companies do okay. I mean, some of the companies I, do, I work with, they do okay, but they're constantly like in a struggle for work because they don't know you know how to solve problems very well, or they, they have basically if everything's a nail, everything's a, if all I have is a hammer, then everything's a nail. Yeah. So you know it's it's like you don't have that 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 uh, plethora of of diverse ideas and thoughts to solve problems. You know, you know it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna catch up with you eventually. Yep. So. Yeah, and I think that we need to look at skills in different ways too, because something that strikes me all the time, and this kind of comes down to the uh, the. Latinos, people who don't end up getting promoted the way that they should, mm-hmm. is that I perceive the number one skill when you have these companies that have English language barriers. The person who can speak both languages very well and communicate, help everyone communicate, that is a massively valuable skill. Mm-hmm. And yet those people often find themselves hitting a ceiling mm-hmm. because they can promote to a point and that's it. Mm-hmm. Even though if we had superintendents who could do that, if we had PMs mm-hmm. who could do that, that would be so valuable. And what is a big giant leadership skill? Communication is. And that is communication. Being able to take two people who don't speak the same language and get them in sync with one another, that is communication. That is a leadership skill. You are seeing in front of you and saying, well, we can't promote him anymore. We just need him in the field. We can't really promote him. And they will hit the ceiling. And that's ridiculous because that is such a valuable skill but we look at skills in a different way and we say well he's not necessarily great with computers which we don't know that that's even true because well, we haven't ever given him any training and, and, in before computers. Co- and before COVID hit we were all strapped for manpower we're all strapped for field leadership we're all strapped for for talent and f- where is the next generation of foreman going to come from uh, and and we just dismiss out of hand the fact that you know we we are just neglecting half of the working population. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so to Mary's point, I have a perfect example of that. I mean, we have multiple people that I work with that have guys that are really highly thought of that are bilingual, that bridge the gap between crew and foreman, and they're not paid for that. Yeah, that's not They're not labor. compensated for <laughs> being bilingual, which is, I mean, to be honest with you, that's a, something that you're not really asked to do in construction. And that's yeah. not part of my job description. So if you need that, I, you can pay me for that, but these guys are not sophisticated enough to know the difference that, okay, well, hold up. If I'm not here, how do you talk to these guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, so in, in a lot of cases, I, you don't have a business without that translator. Right, right. And 
that is a, like you said to your point that is a skill but how is it that that person mm-hmm. is, is pigeonholed mm-hmm. yeah the, my my guess is racism mm-hmm. it's because yeah. I, I can't have somebody like him mm-hmm. at a management level mm-hmm. because that means that it's taking a job away from somebody that looks like me. Yeah. So well, but it also right. it also means that you lose your translator. Yeah, I was going to say we, it also is this weirdly destructive Fair thing enough. where we can't Fair afford enough. to lose them in the field. But we don't think about the fact that if we had more people like them in leadership, they could help us mm-hmm. bring more people like them into the field. But but I think the the uh, in the same way that we pay for night pay, or we pay travel pay, or we pay there are all these premiums hazard pay. Why wouldn't we have a bilingual pay? Why wouldn't we have that premium that would actually incentivize people to... Because no one makes us do it. (laughs) I know, but it's just, there are things that that you don't have to be made to do that just make good business sense. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) there's a lot of things that make good business that people don't do. I can't tell you how many people that we talk to who are our clients, who are people who are are arcade fans and, and close to what it is that we do, and they honestly want to help. They honestly want to do something. They honestly uh, want to, to move and, and they don't want to just make statements and they don't want to just take positions. They want to do work. And so this is like uh, saying, well, we want to help the community. Uh, we, we have our work clothes on. We're, we're here. We just tell us where to go. Tell us what to do. Sure. We, we, we're here and we want to help. Sure. So I, I, the first thing I would say is before you get to the dance, practice your dance moves. I mean, before you, <laughs> it's, I mean, it sounds crazy, You're, but it's, it's, it's really a, a metaphor for do the work, do the homework. First. I mean, yes. because it's, again, it's like the analogy I used with you the other day. It's you wouldn't show up to chemistry class three hours late and then ask everybody in the class to help you catch up because that's not their job. Yep. Their job is when we were here three hours earlier. We did the work. And we've been here three hours and we're leaving. So, you know, there's no way you're going to, what you're really going to do is go to the professor after class mm-hmm. and you're going to pick up the reading from them and yep. figure out what you missed. And you're going to read that. And then the next time you come to class, you're going to be prepared and yep. you're ready to go to class. In construction, the, the 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 analogy would be okay. Before I before I make these statements about wanting to help, I need to understand a how I got here to begin with, mm-hmm. and then confront that mm-hmm. and say, okay, well, I can't lead with well, I'm not racist when everyone on my staff looks like me. Yeah. So um, I have to ask myself, why? How did I get here, and why am I doing it? Why don't I have anybody that doesn't look like me that is in a management position or in a forming position or in a, just on a crew? Why? Why is that? And yeah, if you can answer those questions honestly, then you can use the Google and figure out. Okay, well, there's some other things out here I don't know. I mean, so yeah. well, and the and the answer will be because I've I've asked this question and I've I've received the answer a number of times. The answer will be because they're just not there because they're not available, because they're not out there. And I think that, that uh, you know, a hard part for a lot of people, as you said, when people start with, I'm not racist, yeah. that is, that is the, the wrong first sentence to ever put out of your mouth. We need to remove that, that sentence from our, our lexicon, lexicon yeah. the way that we've done with other things. Don't say, I'm not racist, mm-hmm. but because you still have privilege and you still live in a racist system, even if you don't hold those views inside. And another one that really bothers me is I don't see race because that's 
ridiculous. And because well, and because I feel you like do. there but there's a, an inherent negativity already to be like, well, I don't see your race. To me, you're just white. Really? That's terrible. <laughs> that's not, that's, that's, not better. that's not better. So yeah. a lot of the people that we talk to, uh, they just don't even know how to start the conversation. Sure. And and they don't even know how to to start talking or, or thinking differently. Uh, they don't know who to talk to necessarily. And so this is where you see people, white people saying, well, to start with, I'm not racist. Uh, to start with, I don't have a racist bone in my body. Uh, all of these terrible things that, that they start with. How, how, what should they be saying? What should they be thinking? How, how, do, we how do we start having start? the conversations that need sure. to be happening? How do we start that conversation? Yeah, well, bo- both, both of those statements are surefire ways of identifying yourself as being a racist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I think you start by having a conversation. Like, again, you start internally. Once you've made that, that, that start internally, I think you start by reaching out to people that don't look like you mm. and, and saying, I'm coming from a place of ignorance. I don't know what you go through on a regular basis and i would even go so far as to say i'm I'm probably racist for not caring because to be honest with you it, it doesn't affect me the way it affects you so i have had the luxury or the, the the sad luxury of not having to worry not realizing that it, it, it got to this point so and now i have to you know basically say okay i don't i don't know enough about it i want to have a conversation I'm coming from a place of ignorance. I'm probably going to get it wrong just because I don't I don't know what you go through. But I would like to have a conversation anyway and learn as much as I possibly can. Now, I am aware of X, Y, and Z. I know why we're out here in the street protesting, but it, it seems to have gone beyond that to say, you know, now we're talking about disparate treatment. And I think I'm part of the problem. So I would like to figure out how I can be part of the solution. You lead with that, you're going to disarm the room. And again, the thing that I would tell most white people that want to have that conversation is black people are not lying in wait to jump down your throat if you make a mistake. That, that, that's, that's not how this works. How this works is we're ready. We've been ready to have a conversation for about 450 years. So <laughs> the fact that you want to have it now, great. Let's do it. Well, so, and, and I think that we see the, the responses on social media and that makes uh, white people even more trepidatious, even more scared to have the conversation well, because there are the trolls that will jump back and there are the people that uh, that will fire back at them. And and it's so visible uh, mm-hmm. and it, it's in everything that we do that I think that the value of having some sort of in-person or even Zoom conversation, but one-on-one conversations as opposed to just uh, chattering away on social media. Um, social media is not the best place to have that. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's fair. No. I mean, it, it, it's weird. Uh, it's it's not just because you, you have the comfort of being able to log Molotov cocktails from your laptop. Yep. So yeah. it, it, it's not, those conversations aren't going to be as productive as an in-person conversation. Um, and again, if you're willing to have a conversation, you have to acknowledge the fact that a, I'm probably racist. Either, either. Now I'm not out there, you know, you know, burning crosses, but I'm complicit because I haven't said anything before. So there's, and so I've there's actually been the benefactor of systemic racism. Yeah. I, I have to admit that. And while it may not be readily apparent that you benefit from it, you have to remember 
you don't have it, even if you haven't benefited from it, you still benefit from the, from the fact that you're getting the benefit of the doubt in every aspect of the miracle. No one's ever going to question you for being anywhere. Yeah. Every space is you're, you're, you should be in any space you're in. You should be in. Yeah. There's no no one's going to ask that question. Yeah. Well, when um, when I was a kid, uh, I broke into houses, I stole stuff, I got arrested, uh, I had run-ins with the police all over the place, and uh, it was it was just a, a white kid in the country getting into trouble and. Likely, if I were a different color, then it would look different. It would have been very different. I, I know for sure we have this conversation if, if, you, were, if you looked like me. Right. That, this, we wouldn't have that conversation yeah. because you would be locked up right. or, yeah. or dead. But, um, but that right there is, is an example of, okay, well, I'm getting the benefit of the doubt. You're just a kid. You're blowing off steam. You're, mm -hmm. you're getting into some mischief. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure we get you back on the right track. Were you there? Yeah. Were, you, were you there? <laughs> but I know I've seen it before. I mean, it, you know, it's it's this is the George Bush thing. It's yeah. he was an alcoholic in his thirties. Well, he's just a kid. He's in his thirties. Yeah. yeah. You know, but he gets the benefit of the doubt and gets to be president. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's it's just the tacit acknowledgement that okay, I I, I mean. I, I know I benefit. I know I, I I can get pretty much in the door for any job. I can get in the door for a home loan or a business loan for I, all the stuff that I take for granted. Other people can't get. Mm -hmm. I don't have access like that, you know. And, and I'm going to be questioned in spaces, quote unquote, white spaces, where, hey man, how did you get here? Or what are you doing here? I mean, be it be it at an be it at a uh, Harvard or be it at Yale or be it at any of these higher, uh, higher learning institutions, I'm going to be questioned. People that look like you are not going to be questioned. Well, so, and, and I brought up the conversation or the, the interview with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson where he's on mm -hmm. the panel and people are questioning Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm like, mm -hmm. are you kidding me? He's one of the most talented humans we have on this planet. Well, and, and I think and victim of social uh, uh, what systemic racism. Yeah, well, and I think it's so insidious, like the depth at which it it is. So a story that popped up in my head while we were talking is uh, when my daughter was three. My daughter went to uh, her first protest all by herself over the weekend. She's 17, mm -hmm. so she was mm -hmm. super jazzed to be there. When she was three, uh, she had a birthday cake. And she wanted a Barbie birthday cake. And we went to the store, and there were two Barbies that you could have on your cake. It no, was I, just a little... I, I thought they were out of the, the white Barbies. Uh, I thought she wanted the black Barbie, okay. and they tried to talk her out of it. They were like, well, don't you want this Barbie? Right? And the idea that someone at a grocery store would say that to your child, like... To try to convince her to not get the black Barbie what? cake. And for what? It's taught. It is. It's, it's literally talk, it and it's like you don't want that one. That, you know, you want D this. Right. Don't you want the one that looks like you? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're we're talking about how to to start the conversation, how to how to help, what can we do? And I think your your quote about coming from a place of ignorance is something really mm -hmm. valuable. Where you say, "I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, I'm looking for input. You're owning uh, whatever whatever ignorance that you have, and and you're looking to." improve your knowledge and so from an importance of education standpoint uh what what could what is the what is the reading what is the the work what is the dance practice that we should be going to and i, I know that 
uh, there are a lot of options right now, and it's overwhelming well, because there's so much. And there are a lot of a lot of people of color who are putting book lists mm-hmm. up online. That is a thing I'm seeing a lot of. So that's a place. that is a great place to start. And that's what I was going to suggest. Is you know, my wife sent me a ton of books um, that you know, hey, you know, if you have any friends, like me and wife friends, just that are interested, you know, send them these book lists and things like that. I mean. I'd say start with one book, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and try and figure out which one is going to basically get you to the point of, okay, now I kind of get where where everyone's coming from. I mean, I know there's a there's a white author that who's an ally, and I, I'll send you the name after this, but he's really good. He 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 actually cuts right to the chase, mm-hmm. and as soon as I get his name, and uh, yeah. I'll send it over to you. But so we'll, he's been on countless TV shows or, or news programs and things like that. So that, for, for the show notes for this episode, we'll go ahead and post a couple of links that will be sure. helpful for everybody. Sure, I'll be happy to send those to you. Yeah. Yeah, I, think, well, one, I think one thing that we have to think about uh, when we start talking about hiring and bringing people of color into the construction industry, I would, ha- I would ask a white managers and hiring staff to think about what you're bringing someone who looks like me into. What type of environment you're bringing them into. Is your environment ready to bring in someone that looks like you? Mm-hmm. What I support really mechanisms that. are in place for that person to come into a, to a, 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 an all-white situation and a brown situation, and less so from the brown people, but these foremen that have never worked with any type of black people, have never worked with, have never had any friends or social interactions with them, and have a certain bias already there. I mean, you're bringing them into already hostile work situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what support mechanisms do you have? I mean, because I'll, I'll put it this way. A, a lot of women I grew up with are like, I'm so ready to be in a relationship. Well, you're, you're not in relationship shape. I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's one thing to, to want to be in one, and it's another thing to be ready to be in one. Well, it's not just women. Everybody, like, go get a go get a plant. You need a plant. I, I, I want to use, well, I don't know, have a lot of men that are like, I'm ready to be in a relationship. Yeah, that's true. The men are like, they're like, I don't need that. They're like, I'm ready to be in a relationship. I get it. But have you prepared your workplace to be in a relationship with a black employee? Because I, I know none of these companies have. Mm-hmm. And the, the ones that I am. Um, well, I think the challenge there is that people are just more inclined to say, well, it's not worth it. Sounds like a lot of work. They do. Right. And, but in the next sentence, man, we sure don't have anybody to do this work. Yeah. yeah. There's so much work. We don't have any people. I'm like, well, I mean, you don't have enough white people. That's what you're, really what you mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's, that's where you're going with that. Yeah. Because you could actually solve that problem pretty quick mm-hmm. with some effort. Yeah. And, you don't want to solve that problem and getting people that look like you. I mean, because it, it's, it's going to take work to, to put the construction industry in that space mm-hmm. where it's a welcoming environment. It's not hostile because I can tell you, you're going to get pushed back anytime you try and try and make changes to the construction. Mm-hmm. You're just going to get pushed back yeah. because the, the biggest pushback I hear is I don't want anybody telling me how to run the business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's the umbrella they use. I don't want anybody telling me I got to hire black people. I don't want. I don't want. So well, and and that brings um, up a really great point about uh, hiring practice because I think mm-hmm. we we read a book called Invisible Women and it mm-hmm. it talks about the idea that uh, if we say, hey, do you know any really great project managers or do you know any great foreman candidates, uh, the the response that we get will predominantly be white men, mm-hmm. whereas. 
if we change the question, and so we're not talking about affirmative action, we're changing the question. So if you ask, do you know of any women who'd be great project managers? Do you know anyone who's black who'd be a great project manager? What they found in the actual study is this was not getting people suggested who were less qualified. People weren't going, well, I know this one black guy who's not qualified, but I'll give him to you. They were still only mentioning people that they felt were qualified, and they were still getting candidates who were just as qualified. But by just changing the way you ask the question, the person would all of a sudden think of someone that they knew that they would never have otherwise thought of. So we yeah. as, we as yeah. a people just omit all of those possible responses. We just don't even see the black people and the brown people and the, and the, and the women who could be potential candidates because we assume that that's not what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So just, mm-hmm. by, if, if, just by changing the question, you can change the results. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really great point. I mean, it, it's... It, it, it starts with asking the right question. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you start, if you lead with the wrong question, then you're, you're going to get led to a completely different place than you want to go. So, um, but yeah, I, I think again, you know, if if you're looking to start having these conversations, there has to be a fair amount of work put in on the back end before you can even come to the table. You have yes. to do the homework. You have to make sure you're you sit down with your staff. The entire staff. Yeah, I mean, it can be at a safety meeting and be like, okay, we're going to, we don't have enough people, you know, and we're going to start having conversations about, you know, bringing in people that don't look like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, I want to make sure that it comes from me as the top guy that this is what we're doing. If you're not on board with that, then you can come to talk to me privately and we can find you somewhere else to work mm-hmm. and where you're going to be more comfortable because for me this is important mm-hmm. you know and that tone is set from the top down yeah and I, I mean i'll just tell you i've, I've worked work with people where i work that you know where I've, I've asked for professional development opportunities for um you know for the benefit of the place that i work i mean it's not like the the certifications i'm going for for something that doesn't apply to you know to the business it's not art school I, you know, <laughs> yeah i mean it's, yeah. <laughs> And I've been told straight to my face, you're not worth that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I mean, I appreciate you wanting to work for who you work for us and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we've never done that before and we're not going to start with you. Mm-hmm. And I took that to being like, oh, okay. so uh, you see me as one thing because essentially I want to move up too. I don't want to keep doing what I'm doing. I want to move up so I can move up the, the corporate ladder and get to a point of leadership at some point. But it's really predicated on the whim of whether or not someone sees you in that role. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you, no one sees you like that, you don't move up. Yep. You're just going to be doing what you do, and that's going to be good enough for them. And then you got a decision to make on whether or not you want to stay. Yep. So, and, yep. and you have to weigh that against other opportunities that you have. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I think what you're talking about is a very, it's an incremental approach of let's bring in a black guy. Let's bring in a couple of black guys. Maybe even, gosh, maybe a black woman. (gasps) But (laughs) I know, I know. But so uh, and and kind of try to make sure that we're prepared for them as they come in and kind of bring that up. But I think structurally, as a as a consultant, I look at the the issue and think another way to approach it would be from the top down, where if you had the right company who was prepared for this, you bring someone black into your leadership team and then it gets easier to have black 
project managers. And if you had black project managers, then by the time you're getting a bunch of black people into the field, mm -hmm. they have that support structure. Like if uh, if there are issues happening, they kind of have those people higher up the chain to go to. And, where and they should have the authority to actually uh, back up some of the changes and do some of the work. When the whole team can see people who looks like those people in the leadership team, it changes the message uh, in, a, in a really structural way. So I think mm -hmm. that that is a powerful way you could go about that as well. And, and I think when you do that, you have to have a level of honesty and a level of clairvoyance about what that means. Mm -hmm. Because in essence, what you're really doing is throwing a brick in a palm and watching the grippers mm -hmm. because you're going to find out that the guys that have worked with you for 30 years are going to be like, yeah, I'm good. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yep. Because you're, you're going to, you're, there's going to be some, some, some collateral damage to making that, that decision. Yes. That it may be even some unanticipated uh, collateral damage that they, they, they couldn't see coming. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, cause again, you know, in our circumstance, when we work together, we, we asked for a pretty simple act. And I said, you know, I don't want my name on that because they're going to think that that's, that's what I want. Yeah. So that in and of itself is kind of like in self-preservation mode because it's like, I know these people. I get I, it. I know that they're not going to budge on that. And that's not something that they want to do because if it was, they're, they'd have already done. Mm -hmm. they, Things, if, if you want something to happen, it happens. Mm -hmm. If you want taco time, you're going to taco time and you're going to get taco time. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. so this is no different. Yeah. If, if you want something like that to happen, you will make that happen because it's good business for you. And that means you can make more money doing it. And you'll always have, you know, the diversity of thought. You always have the manpower. You, always have, you won't have any of these issues that supposedly that they have. Well, and it's, it's, becoming, so, it's becoming less okay to just manage the status quo. It's becoming more okay. The, the response that I'm seeing from the people that I'm seeing it from, let's say five years ago, two years ago, would not have seen any support from them, would not have seen any support. But I think this is an important part of the ally conversation too, because I do think that there's part of this. So again, to come back to kind of my experience as a, as a woman, mm -hmm. If I advocate for a woman within a company, I can be removed from the room for that. Mm -hmm. Basically, they'll say, we don't want to work with Mary anymore. All she does is push us to do girl things, woman things, and protect mm -hmm. women. And she just doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. And I will be removed from the room. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if you push for those things, then it's different. It doesn't mean they're going to do it. But they don't. no one has ever removed you from the room before. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think it's the same that if you're the black guy in the organization and you're constantly advocating for the black and the brown people, then it'll be like it can become this whole mm -hmm. like, oh, well, that's just their thing. Whereas mm -hmm. with I think we need we need to have all voices mm -hmm. kind of pulling together for this uh, because otherwise it's easy to get pigeonholed in that way. See, the construction companies just need more people like you at the top to Oh no, that's it's, <laughs> it's it's cheap in the good that it does and in the money that it makes. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really believe that. So, uh, in an upcoming episode, we're going to be talking about the importance of a chief diversity officer and the idea that we should be uh, thinking differently from the top and yeah. and well, listening to those voices. And the reason I want to talk about that is because there is this idea that that people. 
there are a lot of roles in construction, aside from the diversity conversation, there are a lot of roles that people in construction don't really understand what that person is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I think with chief diversity officer, people think this is the idea of we're just going to put a black person in our leadership team so they can just do black people things. And they can talk to the press. Like by the color of their skin being the only reason they have that job. But the truth like, is... Like a hired actor. The truth is we talk about, at the beginning of this, we talked about things like redlining, mm-hmm. right? And and gerrymandering and there are all these different things these concepts that have been studied and all of these there are all these problems where everyone's like how could you ever change that and the thing is people have good answers to these things who have studied these things and if you find someone who has studied how to structurally change a company Mm -hmm. to be less in line with racism Mm -hmm. uh, if you have someone who has studied that and is good at that and you bring them into their company for the sole purpose of helping build your culture into something different Mm -hmm. uh, it changes everything about your company so that's what we're going to be talking about next week is is what that role really is what they really do and how this is not just about putting a token black person in your leadership team although the truth is that if this is a black person who is in your leadership team it could do a lot of value to bring that diverse voice in as well so we uh really appreciate having you here with us i feel like the message and the conversation is super valuable Uh, but before we close out what question should we have asked what did we miss um there's there's a lot <laughs> you can't talk about all of it in one podcast it, this is this is i mean we only have a short amount of time so we're not going to solve it all in one in one <laughs> in one podcast unfortunately um but you know there's there's really just i think i think we covered kind of the main things that we want to talk about as far as you know trying to change the construction industry that are the makeup and trying to get the diversity of thought i i think the thing that we probably should touch on is how do, how do you get people that aren't aren't thinking about these issues, these social issues, um, to think about them in a different way or to engage in a conversation? Because we have people that I work with that don't even want to have a conversation. Yeah. And how do you draw that person in that is at the top that doesn't want to have that conversation? Because at some point, they have to be part of the conversation. It's, and the reason I say they have to be part of the conversation is we're already seeing trainings offered about what to do when the protests slow down construction because they will. Yeah. And if you can't get apparatus to a job site because there's 60,000 people marching down Main Street, mm-hmm. then now it's affected you. Mm-hmm. And now you have to kind of, okay, well, what are they out there? Why are they out there? And Maybe there's some people I can hire. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking for black people, there they are. There they are. <laughs> <laughs> they're looking for work. I love yeah, that. They're right there, too. Yeah. You know, so, um, but no, I mean, I, I think it's it's how do we get people to engage in the conversation at the top? Because that's where the buying is at. So we've got we to gotta wrap it up here for today. So I have two minds. Uh, so you can find us at www. You can find us. You can find us www.arcadewayfinding.com. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn. Yep, on Jason Sturgeon, Mary Sturgeon, Arcade Wayfinding. Find us on the criticalpathpodcast.com. Yep. Uh, you can find us in West Seattle Corporate Center. Uh, don't talk to me about the bridge, please. Yeah, no. But we are still open for coffee. We'd love to have you in. I think we're allowed to have people in now. We are. There's some some drama about whether or not. 
Yeah, how the social distancing we'll works, there. but we're yeah. getting there. We're available. <laughs> we're uh, here. But we're, we're here for you uh, every week. Thursdays at 11 o'clock, we have Builder Chat at 11 a.m. So bring your contractor questions and put your contractor hat on, and we'll, we'll see you there. Yeah. Watch for it. Watch Probably for not it. a lot of outtakes in this episode. Yeah. But that's okay. So, Jason, what did uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did I want to be when I grew up? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, uh, it vacillated between being a professional baseball player, because um, my dad was, uh, and um, uh, an architectural engineer. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> Little so, Jason. I'm so, going to be an architectural engineer. I'm be a, a pro ball player, architect engineer. Yeah. Um, then burned down on baseball before I got to high school, so <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, who who did in, your dad play for? Uh, he was in the Pirates uh, uh, system, and he played for the Pi- Seattle Pilots for a little bit. Oh, cool. Um, but he got to AAA in, uh, for the Pirates organization, and then um, just before he stopped playing, he, was, uh, he spent a year with the Pilots just before they moved to Milwaukee. Hmm. That's really well, cool. Very, very few people know this about me, but I wanted to be a Greyhound bus driver when I was a kid. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wow. know why. Super high, huh? <laughs> Like you get to see the country, you get to drive a big bus around, and then and then it progressed. When I like got into my twenties, I wanted to be uh, I wanted to work at box office video or blockbuster, oh, no, blockbuster video, video, blockbuster, Not, yeah. whichever blockbuster, a video oh, store. Blockbuster. He said that was his dream after he got into project management yeah. because it was like so much stress. He said all he wanted to do is just go and tell people which so movies to watch. Pick which movies to put on in the movie store. You know what? You know what you'd really like. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. Interesting. Um, <laughs> okay. So if if you want to stick around, uh, we will go deep with Jason Jones here and talk about uh, social <laughs> contract. Uh, so if you're brave enough to to participate in that, stick with us. But I, yeah. there, there's all of the back and forth, especially you know, amplified on social media, uh, talking about all lives matter versus Black Lives Matter, and uh, it makes me want to scream. And I'm sure you you <laughs> share that sentiment. Uh, and but I think the idea, the reason why Black Lives Matter is important, reason why that phrase is important, and you're actually seeing big companies and construction companies coming out and getting behind the concept, at least conceptually, uh, is in the social norm of, of that message is becoming more acceptable. Uh, and, and the whole spirit behind it is that, yes, all lives matter, but right now, and, and I would say more than ever, but that's not true, uh, black lives need protection, brown lives need protection. We need we need to protect those people in the society that are are being killed in the streets. Mm-hmm. Just just for um, what they look like. So what sure. what are your thoughts? I, I mean I, I think I think it's less about protection and more about fairness. Yeah. Um, from our perspective and I'm I, I don't speak our like I speak for all black people. I, <laughs> well, I, I wish I wish I spoke for all white people, but I just yeah. don't. <laughs> um, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's about protection. I think it's about equality and fairness. Mm-hmm. In yep. the sense that I'm a I'm a taxpayer. I'm, I don't want my money going towards some to, towards death squads. 
that come to my neighborhood and to, to kill people that look like me. I, I, mean, I don't want to, I don't, that's not how I want to use my tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't think we need tanks? <laughs> yeah, I'm good with that <laughs> because I know who that's for. That's yeah. right. I mean, <laughs> that's not for the people that live in Bellevue. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's less about that and more about, okay, what does public safety actually look like? I mean, are you, are you, are you here to murder black people or are you here to protect and serve? Because mm-hmm. the, the two are not mutually exclusive because it looks like you're, ask, you're, 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 giving, you're not giving a second thought to how to treat mass murders. For example, Dylan Roof, gets, Dylan Roof, who murdered nine black people in the church in South Carolina, gets taken to Burger King and gets taken peacefully. Mm-hmm. George Floyd gets choked out for supposedly passing a $20 bill. Mm-hmm. Right. That does not require training. Well, and, and the $20 yeah. bill, from my mind, did he even create well, that $20 bill? But again, bill? that doesn't matter. I know, matter. like, it's, even, it's, yeah. it's it ridiculous. It's fake. It's I mean, ridiculous. I mean, I mean, so. But, but even if he did. About, you, you're, you're, what you're really talking about is, do you really need to train somebody not to kill somebody? That, if that person needs training not to kill somebody that looks like me, that person shouldn't be doing that job. Mm-hmm. If that person is so scared that someone that looks like me is going to do something to them, they need to get out of that job. Mm-hmm. Yep, It's irrational. Mm-hmm. So it's more about, okay, we need to reform how, how we think about public safety and start you know, getting rid of some of these, these police officers that clearly are not there for protecting and serving everyone. Mm-hmm. They're, they're to protect and serve people that look like you but they're here to basically keep people that look like me down yeah. to a certain point. Well, and you had, uh, we were talking about the traffic stop and the thought that I had was the feeling that I have when there are cops around is in the middle, right? It, Neutral. It, like when I'm, I know I'm looking for, for my insurance card, I'm like- You don't, you don't have any emotional response to, to that. Well, right. I'm like, I'm nervous in that I can't find my card when I should have it. But that's about it. It is a neutral response. It doesn't elicit fear or, or real panic in me. It's, and, and I think that, that the experience with black and brown people is different. And, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it, it is. And again, like we, we spoke about earlier, you know, I, I, was, I watched Instagram quite a bit and saw, you know, uh, a, there was a taped encounter with a little girl and a white female police officer. And she pulled over just to come over, and the girl starts crying. And instantly, the police show up. The girl starts crying because she doesn't know what she's going to get. Yeah, that's how we all feel. Mm-hmm. We all feel like we don't know what we're going to get one encounter to the next. Mm-hmm. We assume the worst. If we survive that encounter, great. But there's a better than not chance we won't. So this is like this is like an alcoholic, abusive father coming home at night. <laughs> Right. Kind of. You might. You kind might of. get. He my... might give you twenty dollars or. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and I, I actually liken it to, and I've talked this over with my friends, um, some of my actually some of my Muslim brothers and sisters that I know, and they have told me this is exactly how people become terrorists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's it's people rolling into your neighborhood that you don't know that are there to do one thing, and that's kill you. Yeah. And at some point, I mean, one of my friends was basically saying, like, do you honestly think that anybody that looks like me wants to put on a bomber's vest and go into a crowded place and die 
for no reason. He was like, dude, how desperate must we be mm -hmm. to get to that point? Because mm -hmm. if we went out into a middle of the field to fight the U.S. Army, there's no way we're winning that fight mm -hmm. because they have too much apparatus, they have too much ordnance, they have too much all of that. Yeah. He's like, but if we get into an asymmetrical situation, then we have a chance. Yeah. He's like, you. He's like, black people are 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 showing a bunch of restraint because they're rolling these tanks into your neighborhoods mm -hmm. and. At some point, you're going to become insurgents because that's what it leads to. He's like, you guys think that, you know, that you're over here doing something good for your country. You're really not. You're really just over here killing families. Mm -hmm. And those families have relatives. And those are the people that you see at these training camps yeah. that are coming over here to do all the stuff that you're doing. He's like, you guys live in the dark. And I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, well, he was like, he was like, you'll get there. If they don't change this, yep. you'll get there yeah. because that is the inevitable conclusion of people coming. He's like this this stuff that <laughs> it's, he's, he's super funny, but he's like this this stuff that white people whine about at the Capitol about having to wear a mask. That isn't tyranny. No, yeah, tyranny is when they come to your house or pull you over and kill you for no reason. Right. That's tyranny. Yeah, state sanction murder is tyranny. Yeah. So. I, and he's just hitting me with all this, and I'm like, "Well, what does this have to do with construction?" <laughs> but I'm just telling. You yeah. So, so uh, it, there, there's the whole discussion about defund the police, and we're not going to go there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think there is some thought that that's that's worth having there uh, about whether or not the police and funding the police, uh, to the extent that we do is the right way to address social concerns. And so you made the comment earlier about if the only tool that you have is a hammer, you're only mm -hmm. gonna see nails. And mm -hmm. if the only tool you have to, to stop crime and to stop uh, bad things happening in society is a police mm -hmm. officer with a gun, mm -hmm. that's the only tool that you're gonna put to work. Right, but I think I think what we need to think about is why crime exists in the first place. Yeah, crime exists because you take a neighborhood, you strip it, you, you strip down the jobs, you strip down the uh, access to capital, you strip down the the opportunity to own for home ownership, you strip down um, the schools, you, you take all that out, and then you flood it with drugs and weapons. That's where crimes and, and hopelessness. That's where crime starts. And the thing that I always like to tell people that ask is, you don't see that in Bellevue. You know why you don't see that in Bellevue? You don't see that in Issaquah and you don't see that in Magnolia because everybody there has no incentive to, to steal from anybody because they have a house, they have cars, they have kids, they have great education systems, they have everything they need. So they, there's no incentive to do that. There's, there's no but, fear and there's no scarcity. There, yeah, I mean, that it, crime is born of desperation. Mm -hmm. Which is why, you know, I, I talk about looters, you know, people are like, oh, isn't the looting terrible? I'm like, no, well, you're not doing it, are you? Well, why not? Because I can afford everything at Target. I don't need anything from Target that I can't go buy. Right. And, yeah. and the reason I can't, because I, I have a job. Yeah. Yeah. But, these, but when for these, for what must it take or how desperate must you be to go through a plate glass window to get whatever you can get from Target? Yeah, that you can take out in your hands. It's not like people are backing up semi trucks. Yeah, <laughs> it's I'm going in to get what my thirty dollars for the week won't buy me. Yeah, 
you know, at Target. Yeah. So yeah, I, man, I need a blender. Man, I need a, uh, I need this. I need this. I need yeah. that. So it changes people's perspective. Like, look, man, I mean, there's people out here that are really, really desperate. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. so do I condemn looting? Not necessarily because I know what it's born of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when you start talking about defunding the police, I mean, you have to look at it like, okay, Minneapolis has a, a budget of almost $200 million. 200 million, that's, that's more than a third of their entire budget. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is, is that, okay, well, we're not getting the return mm -hmm. on our investment for that $200 million. When, so when people say defund the police, they're not saying take it apart. They're mm -hmm. not saying yeah. blow it up. They're saying, okay, we need to redirect some of those funds mm -hmm. to uh, alternative forms of public safety yeah. besides sending the police in to deal with somebody who's mentally ill or sending the police in for a domestic dispute or sending yes. the police, I mean, you don't want an armed response to a lot of the things that they do. Yes, so, and so much of the stuff that they go in for, if you had someone that was a mental health professional right. instead of a right. police officer, mm -hmm. you would defuse so much of that that right. violence. Well, right. and, I mean, because if you show up somewhere with a weapon, you're going to use it. Mm -hmm. yep. And the type of weapons that the U.S. government is giving these police departments, it, it changes. I mean, I don't care how you slice it. And I, the first time I noticed that was in Ferguson, when Ferguson police, police Department was actually given a lot of military apparatus mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And it's not that Ferguson's that big mm -hmm. to begin with. Mm -hmm. So you start getting MRAPs and Humvees and military-grade rifles it changes how these police officers respond. Now they want to use this stuff. Yeah. And it's like, wow, we have an MRAP and a tank and this and that. And it becomes a military zone. It becomes a war zone. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so I, yes. I, I do my best to try to, to stay away from explicit politics mm -hmm. because especially in construction, they're super divisive. Um, sure. But I, I look for voices and primarily conservative voices uh, that that are saying things that sound reasonable and mm -hmm. and I never thought that I would be promoting something that uh, George W. Bush said but he came out and he had a really great quote uh, and he said something uh, along the lines of um, I, I, I'm just gonna do it wrong mm -hmm. uh, hold on one second here well I think though it's important too that I think we need to start breaking this idea that this is somehow a political issue because like black lives matter is a it's a human issue and i understand that there is this whole idea that these different people and and mm -hmm. again our political beliefs are pretty pretty clear um but yeah. that being said this is not a politics thing this is not a question about are we going to spend the money on this one thing or on this other thing this is a question about these are our people these are american people yeah. human mm -hmm. people and i think it's important that we start trying to change that conversation about you know i think the idea again the traditional idea about democrat and republican is are we going to put our, our our energy into social programs or into commercial programs and there's lots of room for lots of different beliefs there and we need to stop looking at certain human lives as being some kind of a political issue because it's not. So George W. Bush said, many doubt the justice of our country and with good reason. Black people see the repeated violation of their rights without an urgent and adequate response from American institutions. Mm -hmm. The fact that George W. Bush said that 
I, I feel like every, I don't care what your stripe, every American should hear that for what it is that he's saying. And he's saying that, that we have an inadequate response to violation of black rights, mm-hmm. right? If, if everybody should hear that and everybody, even if you're liberal or conservative or, or you haven't found your, your political home yet, you should hear that for what it is. Uh, and that is that, that we're, we're continually violating and breaking this social contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we expect something passive to come out of it. We expect, we expect something peaceful to come out of it. And it's, it's irresponsible to expect anything different than what it is that we're seeing. Right, right. I mean, and I think that's something I saw on a video not too long ago um, that, you know, the social contract is broken. She laid it out so eloquently about, you know, how, you know, we get blamed for burning down targets and burning down this place and that place. It's like, well, and and how can we burn down our own communities? Like, we don't own any of this. Yeah. It's not owned by us. So we don't care that we're burning the target thing. But I I think that the fundamental nature of a contract, and and Mm -hmm. I I was listening to the bit by Trevor Noah talking about this concept, uh, and and I'm a contract nerd. I I spend time in contracts all the time when we're talking about construction, and, and I really get excited by it. It's weird, I know. But the idea of a social contract is is quid pro quo this for that well mm-hmm. so if you sign actually this is a business law concept if you sign a contract and consideration must exchange hands if you don't get anything out of that contract that contract is not legally binding so as a contractor if i come and i sign a contract that says i'll build you this building for free signed on the dotted line legally enforceable they can't take me to court and enforce that because I didn't get any consideration. I didn't get anything for it, so it cannot exist. If, if and we have that's a contract that is happening you here. give me five thousand dollars and I give you nothing, that's not that's not enforceable. That's not a contract. And so essentially, what's happening is uh, we're we're taking and we're killing and we're breaking that that contract. There is no consideration. What what's going the other direction? The social contract says follow the rules and be good, mm-hmm. and bad things won't happen to you, and you'll be able to own things, and you'll be able to have nice things and whatever. And that's that consideration is not happening for certain people in America. So when that when that contract is broken. Yeah, you're going to loot. Yeah, you're going to burn. Yeah, there's there's going to be chaos. There's going to be problems. Right. But I think so. from the perspective of the people who do have mm-hmm. and the people who have this privilege, mm-hmm. uh, there was a quote that I saw that put it really well, that instead of saying, it's a shame that people are dying, but we have to stop the looting, you need to flip that on, a he- on its head and say, it's a shame that looting is happening, but we have to stop the killing. Mm-hmm. Because human life is the more important thing. When we are prioritizing property over human life, that's sending a clear message. And Target's property? Ooh. Yeah, Target's property. Because something... A, yes. a Wendy's? Like, yeah. you know, guess what? Insurance yeah. will, will take care of most yeah. of that. Yeah, exactly. This is a big conversation, and I'm sure there are parts of it that we didn't get right. Whatever your thoughts or feelings on this huge issue, we're happy to talk with you about it, but we're still working to educate ourselves too. If you stuck around for this long, please take a look at the show notes this week. Jason Jones has provided us with a fantastic list of resources so that everyone can read up, 
practice our dance moves, and be ready to have this important conversation and work toward being a better country for all of us.